All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Shots from the Winchester, presented by Greencastle. I'm here today with Del. Hey, Del, how's it going? Hey. <laughs> we're going to be doing a Get to Know the Gacker on Del, so you're going to learn all about him today. Uh, because we're in the Winchester, we have to do a shot. Mm. So what would you like to do a shot of? Let's go with horse soldier whiskey. Okay, let's do it. All right. Oh, hey, John. how's it going, John? <laughs> Two shots of... Horse Soldier Whiskey, coming up. I don't think I've ever had this, so I'm excited to try. Enjoy. Thanks. All right. All right, so I guess we should do a little cheers to Greencastle, I to suppose, Greencastle. right? All right, Greencastle. Oh, you gotta sip that. <clears throat> yeah, I sip it. <laughs> 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 My acid reflux is already turning. <laughs> all right, give me a second here. It's okay. Pace yourself. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> Del, want to learn about you today. So, let's start with what you do here at Greencastle. So, here at Greencastle, I am a associate management consulting uh, consultant, and I am largely focused on implementation management for typically uh, large size projects in the utility sector. Cool, and do you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah I do. Um, GAC, Greencastle is, it's just an awesome, awesome place to be. It's a great, it's a great organization with great people, um, a great team environment, um, an awesome culture. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So. I think people can see the culture when they see this video. We have a, a bar in our office and we're doing shots in yeah. the middle of the day. So <laughs> that's part of it. Um, so then how did you make it here? How did you find out about Greencastle? Um, ironically, um, I had just retired from federal service and um, was looking was looking for you know, what I was going to do next. Because uh, I've still got a couple kids I got to get through college. But um, a friend of mine had told me that there was going to be a book signing, and this was like last no November. And uh, Ben Milligan's book, um, which is, is basically about the, the early days and the evolution of uh, maritime special operations. And my friend told me about it, and it was like, hey, you got to go check this out. And I'm like, okay. And I came and, and got a book and actually had it signed for my son. Uh, it was a Christmas present, but... I was just so impressed by not the not the fact that we have a bar, but <laughs> the, the, just the culture and the and I really hate saying this word, but the vibe of the people that I was meeting here, and I was like, this is amazing because you really don't have that kind of culture in many places, and frequently once you leave the military or you leave government service or whatever it is you're doing you have to let that go. <clears throat> and I was just, I was just blown away by it. And um, a couple days later, I sent them my resume and here I am. <laughs> awesome. That's great. And we're glad to have you because you, like everybody else here, has um, a background in the military and, and that's kind of our, our theme here, 100% better known and operated. So uh, because of that, we'd love to hear about your military career and, and just maybe hitting some of the high points for us. So, um, as I mentioned last year, I, I retired after 35 years of service. Um, I enlisted in uh, the Army back in 1986. Uh, so 
literally like a week after I graduated from high school, I was off to basic training. Um, I was enlisted through throughout college, and then in 1990, I was commissioned on active duty uh, as an Army infantryman. I spent the next 10, 11 years on active duty uh, doing various things, and um, I got to the point where, and a lot of people get there, it's like you hit the 10-year mark, and you're like, well, I should either get out and do something else, or I'm sticking it in for 20. Um, and because I can't make a decision, I kind of did both. But I had uh, I left active duty um, and joined the CIA like literally three weeks before the attacks. Um, so when I left active duty to go to work for the agency, uh, I transitioned back in the reserves, and then I was in the reserves um, for basically the end of my career. And I retired out of the military in 2009. Um, and then I spent the next 20 years with the CIA as an operations officer and. Um, here I am. That's a great story, too. Um, so I know you can't tell us everything about mm -hmm. CIA, and that's like something that people find really fascinating, right? Uh, a career in the CIA. It's very mystical, I suppose. So what can you tell us? Well, I, there's a lot I can tell you, and, and, and I actually like doing that because the interesting thing about the agency is if you look at the people that join the agency, they're really the same people that join the Army the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines. They're the same people that join uh, other elements of the IC. They're the same people that join law enforcement. They're literally the same types of people. Um, we're all cut from the same cloth, and we want to just serve something greater than ourselves. Now, the interesting thing about the agency is because it is a clandestine organization um, functioning in an open society, it's in a difficult position in terms of what it can tell you about itself. So you could learn a lot by just simply visiting the website in terms of what career paths are there and what you can do. But I love talking about it because, one, I'm retired. I'm no longer undercover. And the reality is when you have a secret organization functioning in an open society that can't really engage the, the populace, what fills that space? What ends up filling that space is things like TV, movies, books, uh, the bad press we you know, periodically get, and frequently what people think they know about the agency is wrong, just completely wrong. So uh, I was an operations officer, so my primary job was to um, recruit and handle uh, foreign national sources. So the conduct of foreign intelligence. So you, you identify someone um, and recruit them, someone who has authentic access to something that we can't get our hands on otherwise. Um, so it could be, it could be a, somebody who's part of a foreign government or a foreign military or a foreign intelligence service. Could be a terrorist organization. It could be any number of things. But it's something that the United States government says, we need this information, and this is the only other way we can get it is from another human being. Um, so that is the bulk of what you do in terms of foreign intelligence. There's also something called covert action, and that's something I can't talk a lot about, but what I would say is it is something that is, one, it's always authorized by the president. Um, it goes through an extensive legal review you get extensive oversight from, uh, from Congress. But if essentially is they're trying to affect something in the real world, but concealing the hand of the United States government. 
but it's all done with a great deal of oversight and it's all completely legal and always done with um, the authority of the president. So the bulk of my career was focused on things like counterintelligence, uh, counterterrorism, weapons of mass destruction, um, some covert action as well. Um, had the incredible opportunity to to serve in multiple countries. I was able to serve in uh, across Europe, uh, Africa, Southwest Asia. Um, yeah, it was just a fantastic experience. Um, loved it. Um, would do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm a, I'm a single father. So at a certain point, you have to make a decision as to what, what you're going to prioritize. So uh, my kids won out and here I am. Okay. That, there's a lot to unpack and yeah. all that. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> so I guess the first thing is you mentioned that there's a lot of misconceptions. What are some of the misconceptions that you feel are kind of floating around? Well, um, for, for starters is everything that is done is done within the construct of the rule of law. There is nothing that we are, that we, well, I shouldn't say we anymore. Um, <clears throat> no, there's nothing the agency does that it does outside of its legal authorities, what it has been directed to do by the president. So that's, that's one. Um, another one is that we have no law enforcement authorities or capabilities, really. Um, we are not a law enforcement organization. We gather and we collect intelligence. That's what we do. Um, there are certain paramilitary capabilities, but um, you know, I'm not going to go in deep on that. But again, Everything that is done is done at the direction of the president. Um, and again, it's, you'd be surprised. They're, they're, the people that join the agency are the people that join the FBI and all that. And in fact, in my case, um, when I was leaving active duty, I'd applied to the FBI. And uh, I'd wanted to be an FBI agent since I was a little kid. And um, I had applied. I was going through that process. And then one day, the recruiter calls me and says, hey, um, we've had a hiring freeze. And I'm like, well, how long is that going to take? And he's like, well, it could be three months, could be three years, who knows? Um, and that was when somebody tapped me on the shoulder and you know, I ended up working for the agency. But again, my point is, they're the same people that join any other service-based organization. They just want to serve their country um, or something greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, good point. So what's the major difference between working somewhere like the CIA and then coming to somewhere like Greencastle? They're exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there's a lot of little differences. Um, there's, there's very similar things in terms of structure, um, things that we, that we go, how we go about doing things. Like at GAC, we do implementation management of major projects. <clears throat> And you, you foundationally are going to base that on things like program management, process improvement, and change management theories. So it's all foundationally based on these certifications. And in the same way, in the agency, you know, you're, you're basing your operations off of what you learned at the training facility. So whether it's your bedrock training in, as an operations officer or as a case management officer or a targeting officer or whatever it is, you you're ultimately going to face something new, something that you've not seen before. And you have to base how you're going to address that, how you're going to deal with that off of your, your initial training, um, your foundational training. And it's very similar to GAC in that regard, in that 
every project we take on is something new. It's something new, it's something dynamic, it's something like we've never seen that before, but foundationally, it all comes back to our foundational training. So in pro uh, project management and change management and process improvement. Um, another one, um, and this is kind of a difference, is, oh my gosh, we're all big on acronyms. Um, <laughs> but here, I will say the one, well, the one thing that the, the government does, which I wish we would do, or at least our clients would, um, is you never use an acronym until you've explained what the acronym is. <laughs> And a lot yes. of times we will come into projects and they'll be like, oh, yeah, OMS and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like the, the acronym OMS for 20 years meant the Office of Medical Services. In the utility sector, it means outage management system. <laughs> so you're running the risk of, of, of coming across as the, the new guy when you're like, can you explain what that is? So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, it, it, it well prepares you because again, and like the military, the same thing is you have your foundational training, the government or the, the people in the United States have entrusted you to handle these issues. So they hand you this big, hairy mess of a situation and you've got to figure it out. And, and really, that's what GAC does. It, it, we, we deal with these you know, really challenging, cutting-edge issues, and we try and figure out a solution to them. Mm -hmm. So, or FITFO, as we call it, right? Or FITFO. <laughs> FITFO. And what what does FITFO stand for? Figure it the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Never used an acronym until you've explained what it means. <laughs> and you know what? That's that's something that I learned in the public affairs world is that you you are always spelling that stuff out mm -hmm. when you're writing. And and with a writing background, I knew that too. But it's like <laughs> when you go to a client, it's almost like you're perpetually a brand new lieutenant sitting in like a battalion meeting okay. where everybody's throwing out the acronyms and you're, you're just like, I'm too afraid to ask. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> so I want to get into some of the stuff outside of work, outside of the military career. So you have a family of two sons, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us about your sons. Uh, my oldest son, Jack, uh, just started uh, college. He just graduated from high school last year. He's doing community college right now. Seems to be enjoying it. Uh, my youngest son um, is a sophomore in high school. Um, he is a uh, starting offensive lineman for Upper Dublin High School. Um, he also does rugby and basketball, and he is wicked good at math and science. So I'm not worried about him um, unless he keeps getting you know concussions from playing those contact sports. But now. They're, they're awesome. They're awesome. Wow. That's impressive. So, like, really good at the academics and yeah. the sports. That's, yeah. like, that's a good situation. It so. is a good situation. Very cool. So, um, aside from that, you are writing a book or writing a manuscript, right? I don't know if there's I, a difference between I have those. A, I have a complete manuscript. Um, so, basically, I am now in the process of querying uh, literary agents. So, that whole process is... Um, you, you write your novel or whatever it is. It's a manuscript until it you know, becomes a book. You find yourself a literary agent. Um, and it's kind of like a gate, if you will. Uh, it's kind of a litmus test. If you know, a publishing company is typically not going to pick up um, a manuscript and, and write you a contract, 
um, if, if you are not represented by a literary agent. So I'm in that process now. Um, that is, I, I refer to it as the wasteland of query letters and rejections. Um, but yeah, I'm in, in the process of querying right now. Um, hopefully, um, I will get published at some point and um, we'll see what goes from there. But it's a, it is a espionage thriller um, uh, based off of, or it's foundationally um, my experiences, my training, um, yeah, places I've been, uh, all wickered into this, into this story. So, yeah. That's really cool. Hopefully at some point, uh, hopefully there'll be a book for you guys to read. Yeah, then we can, uh, we can link that, you know. That would be awesome. Be very official. That would be. Um, so you mentioned you go, you've gone a lot of places, you've been a lot of places, <laughs> and you said that you learned to cook a dish from everywhere that you've been. Yeah, and sometimes it's not cooking, you know. And what I mean by that is, like, like in Romania, um, and they have amazing food in Romania, but I, I really embraced pickling. Um, it's just that they are, they're huge on pickling. Um, but yeah, um, learned how to make, of uh, uh, course I'm blanking on what it's called. Sure. <laughs> Palau, Palau in Afghanistan and you know, making kebabs in Morocco, uh, paella in Spain, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I always made it a point to learn something about the culture of where I was and uh, what better way to do that than learning how to, you know, make their food. So That's really cool. And then do your sons benefit from that? They get to oh, eat they some do. of that stuff? Oh, <laughs> they do. They, they eat well. Yeah. They eat well. So aside from the eating part, you also do home brewing. I do. Cover the drinking part. <laughs> I, 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 I have been home brewing for a little over 25 years. Uh, kind of dialing back on it um, simply because when you get into your 50s, uh, your capacity to process alcohol is greatly diminished. But uh, yeah, been uh, brewing since I was in my early 20s. So what's your favorite part about that? Um, it's cooking. It really is. Um, it's cooking and you're starting out with uh, basically base materials, uh, water, hops, grain, uh, yeast, barley, uh, depending on what you're making. And you create something amazing down the road. Um, and you're really facilitating the transition from those base ingredients to alcohol by um, not only the combination of materials and how you prepare them and how you cook them, but then you ultimately have to set it up such that it is a welcoming environment for the yeast because the yeast is a, is a live creature. Um, creature is probably not the right word, <laughs> but it's going to transition the, the sugars that are in your, in your you know, wort and transition that into beer, so. Seems like a lot of science too, which. <laughs> it is, and ironically it did, it actually played into my agency career because at one point there, we were, um, I was being selected for something and they were like, what do you know about biological warfare? And I'm like, well, um, I, I, I know how to make beer. And they're like, same thing, sign him up and send him to, yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's going to be a good tagline. Yeah. Biological warfare is the same as homebrewing. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so what's your favorite thing that you've homebrewed? Like, do you have like one? Um, I, I do enjoy making a bourbon barrel porter. Um, so basically it's a porter, um, which is just another ale. Um, but the trick is you take uh, cubes of oak 
that have been charred, and then you soak them in whiskey for a couple weeks. And then when you get to the second stage of fermentation, you basically drop these cubes of, of oak that have been soaked in bourbon, and you, they, you let them ferment. And then you got to strain them out right before you bottle, but yeah, it's amazing. It's really great stuff. Nice. It's like my holiday beer. Sounds great. We would love to try it. Yeah. We meaning me. Um, <laughs> and then I just want to wrap up with give us like maybe one fun fact we didn't talk about and then one thing that you learned from your military and or CIA career. Um, fun fact about me. Um, my girlfriend, um, and I won't say how long we've been together as you know uh, a couple, but we've been together. We've been friends since fifth grade. Um, literally met in elementary school, and we've been lifelong friends. Um, something I learned about the agency or the military, and it's like, no matter what you're facing, no matter what it is, it's never as bad as you think it is. Um, it could always be horribly, horribly worse. And ultimately, no matter how complex it is, how big of a mess it is, keep your calm, fall back on your training, and then figure it out. That's really great advice. Yeah. Good stuff. So uh, be on the lookout for Dell's book or his manuscript that will turn into a book. And, uh, you know, Maybe you'll be a home brewing sensation at some point after this video goes completely viral, I'm sure. God, I hope. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, it was really nice to get to know you and talk to you. And, uh, you know, looking awesome. forward to learning more in the future. Fantastic. Thank you.